Well, good morning, ARC. Good morning, ARC. Uh, it's such a joy to be back in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, my wife and I have been really missing being in the presence of the body. And we're thankful to be back here with you guys. Uh, before I jump into my time, there's some Bibles that are being passed out. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. They're going to give you Asia. Um, yeah. Miss Jennifer. There we go. Bibles. You can keep them, too. That's a, that's a gift on Pastor T. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> some of y'all be stocking up with Bibles. <laughs> oh, man. So, y'all, just like uh, uh, Brittany alluded to, and I think I said it as well, we have been doing a lot of traveling this morning. I mean, sorry, this summer. But, again, it feels good to be with y'all. But, again... I'm tired, so I'm going to need y'all to talk back to me during the sermon, if that's cool. Uh, so yeah, and to the pastors, I want to thank you guys again uh, for allowing me to preach before you all. It's, a, it's truly an honor and a privilege to do so. Uh, and yeah, my wife and baby girl, I love them so much. They've been a huge support, um, and I'm grateful for them as well. Well, y'all, can I pray once more, uh, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us in his word. Can I do that? Let's do it. Father, we thank you for this day, for this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. But we thank you uh, that your mercies are new each and every morning. And Lord, that uh, you have forgiven us of our sin and our debt has been paid. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, as we dive into your word, Lord, God, speak to us by your spirit. Uh, I heard someone say, Lord, uh, I pray that I would not seek to be impressive. But may we be impressed by you. Lord, speak to us now by your grace and by your mercy. Uh, let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Our strength and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Who will be the next you? This is the question that I used as a challenge to the student leadership team as we kicked off last spring semester. Shout out HU, HU. Yeah, yeah. At the start of our leadership meeting, I asked them, who will be the next you? Now the goal of this question was not to ask them to go out and produce carbon copies of themselves, nor was it for them to aim to conform other individuals to their own personalities. Uh, or tendencies or interests. No, the goal of this question was, the, was to get them to think about when they leave Howard, who will they have invested in those four years so that the gospel witness will continue to the next generation and those follow? Y'all, the, the Lord could use whatever he chooses to save someone, but the reality is that he chose people as his means for the advancement of the gospel. And not just on the college campus, but like Pastor T alluded to, around the entire world. You see, this question should motivate not just HU students. No, it should also motivate you and I to be thinking to ourselves, how will I multiply my life in such a way so that others come to Jesus, even some I, I may not ever meet? We need to have that kind of long-term vision. Don't you agree? Your, your gospel witness to one can spur on a gospel witness to the nations. 
It's amazing to see that Jesus' own witness to his disciples produced a cataclysmic movement that still is happening over 2,000 years later. And it's because his disciples took that question seriously. Who will be the next you? Brothers and sisters, gospel witness continues because of people like you and I deciding to invest in the next person. So my question for you this morning, ARC, is this. Again, who will be the next you? Who will be the next person or people that you decide to share Jesus with? Is it a family member, friend, coworker, teammate, classmate, or your neighbor? What's, what's keeping you from sharing the news that changes lives? The very news that changed your life. I think Mark uh, does an incredible job in his gospel with showing Jesus as the ultimate model for the advancement of the gospel. Almost immediately after Jesus had been baptized, he showed us that his mission was to be committed to the Great Commission. So how much more should we be committed to this same mission? Amen? So y'all, here's the overarching point, point for our time this morning. Prayer and evangelism, the forgotten disciplines, are the means and the end to the Christian life. Prayer and evangelism, the forgotten disciplines, right, the ones that we push to the side, are the means and the end for the Christian life. So to further explore this point, I want us to take a look at uh, what may be a familiar passage to some of you. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. When you have it, say amen. When you say, you know, if you don't got it, say I don't got it, you know. Amen. I don't hear no amens. It's all in the back, I guess. Hey, yo, if, y'all, if y'all are new to reading the Bible, the book of Colossians is in the New Testament. So look towards the back of your Bibles right after the book of Philippians, uh, right before 1 Thessalonians. So, uh, y'all, but before we dive into this passage, I want to provide us with some brief context. So, y'all, the letter of, uh, uh, to the church uh, at Colossae is known to be one of the Apostle Paul's prison letters along with the book of Philemon, Philippians, and Ephesians. And it appears that Paul wrote this book during his first time being in prison in Rome. The purpose of this letter was to address the false teaching that was infiltrating the church. And and in order to address this, he pointed his readers to the supremacy of Christ. So typical of Paul, in the first two chapters of this letter, Paul addresses our orthodoxy, right? What What we should know about Christ. And in the last two chapters, he addresses our orthopraxy, how we should live given what we know about Christ. So he begins his letter by giving thanks to the church of Colossae. He says things like, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then goes on to let them know that he hadn't stopped praying for them. Then Paul takes some time to talk about the supremacy of Christ. He says that all things have been created through him and for him. Praise the Lord. And then shares a little about his own ministry. He says, for I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you. He continues this letter by addressing the false teachings that were corrupting the church. He says things like, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. And then from there, he talks about the Christian life and what it should actually look like, right? Put away anger, filth, malice, slander. And then Paul begins to close out his letter by briefly speaking on how Christians are to conduct themselves in certain roles uh, you know, for example, husband and wife. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. Don't be bitter to them. 
And now we arrive at a passage where Paul is now addressing the conduct of a Christian. He says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open up a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. So that I may make it known as I should act wisely towards outsiders, making most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So y'all have just three points for us this morning as we navigate through this passage. Point number one, prayer must not be performative. Prayer must not be performative. And that you get that from verse two. Uh, point number two, intercession initiates profession. You get that from verses three through four. And intercession, right? Inter intercessory prayer initiates profession, profession of faith. And then point number three, evangelism is an embodied effort. Evangelism is an embodied effort. You get that from verses five through six. So point number one, prayer must not be performative. Uh, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Y'all, first we see here that the apostle Paul is imploring, the church, is imploring the church of Colossae to devote themselves to the act of prayer. But not only that, he implores them once more to, uh, to be alert when they pray, while also making sure to give thanks. So y'all, this phrase, devote yourselves, is used a total of 10 times in the New Testament. The word devote here is often translated to mean to continue steadily or, or steadfastly. And in the Greek, the word continue in this context means courageously persistent, to hold fast and not let go. So ultimately, Paul is saying that you and I, along with the saints of Colossae, must give our entire selves over to prayer. We must pray fervently and persistently and earnestly. We must hold fast to our prayer life and not let go. He reminds us that prayer is not to be done on occasion, but in every waking moment, we should be yearning to pray. Paul also reminds us to stay alert while we pray. Staying alert or, or being constantly watchful in our prayers helps us to be sensitive to the needs of others while praying. Praying like this requires us to be good listeners, and it also requires us to be good discerners. We don't want to be mechanical type people who, who pray just, you know, regimented, not really being sensitive to the spirit. I mean, it's good. Creeds are good and all that. But we must be attentive to what's going on in the, in the life of a person. And we ought to have this type of a prayer life with, with thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters, a thankful prayer life is a zealous prayer life. I think Paul knew the more that we give thanks to God for what he's done in our lives, the more we delight in praying to him. He may have known that the more that we give thanks for what he's done in our lives, the less we are prone to discouragement. So, y'all, just an example, right? You're having a hard day. You come home and you're like, you know what? Today's been hard, but I'm going to pray anyway. So you start thanking the Lord. Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for starting me on my way. Thank you for, for food on the table. Thank you for clothes on my back. Thank you for uh, salvation. Thank you for family. Thank you for good health. Once you start encouraging yourself like that, you're like, man, I don't even know what I was upset about. Thanking the Lord produces encouragement. May we be encouraged 
to pray as we thank the Lord as we pray. The way Paul describes prayer in verse two, it should almost be habit like for us. I think John O does a wonderful job at describing what prayer should be like from his book titled Prayer. He says that prayer is oxygen for the Christian. You see, like oxygen, we desperately need prayer. And just like how we breathe in oxygen, prayer should be the sec- should be like second nature to us. Notice also, Paul doesn't ask the church to pray, nor does he suggest it. Rather, Paul tells them, devote yourselves to prayer. It's an imperative, right? It's, it's a command. Brothers and sisters, having a consistent prayer life is not an option for us. If you're a Christian, you are expected to pray. Simple as that. And if your prayer life is inconsistent, it will show. It will show. I'll give you an example. This is for all the basketball fans, so I'm sorry, y'all. This is my example. But I had to throw this in there for Pastor T. We got Zion Williamson and LeBron James, right? Many of y'all know Zion. I love him as a player, but he is tripping right now. reason why he's tripping, right, he didn't went to New Orleans, and, you know, food is known for being in New Orleans. Good food is in New Orleans. And this dude, every season, has been coming back overweight. And, you know, some seasons, I mean, he, he still might become an all-star. Like, I'm sorry, some seasons he has become an all-star, and he dropped, like, 20-point games and all that good stuff. But the difference between him and LeBron who always keeps his body in check. I ain't, I ain't got no LeBron, you know. But he always keeps his, he always keeps his body in check. He, you know, he spends a lot of money on his body, and he produces in the season. I mean, he's thir- almost 38 years old and still playing high-level basketball. The difference between him and a Zion Williamson is that Z- uh, LeBron actually put the work in, and when it comes time to, to, to play, he performs. For Zion... He didn't put the work in in the offseason. And when it comes time to play, he might perform here and there, but it will start to show because of his injuries. And that's the same with us. No matter how we try to over-spiritualize our prayers, no matter how, you know, with fancy words we try to conjure up, no matter how long you pray, a prayerless life will show. And even if you happen to successfully convince those around you that you are this incredible prayer warrior, what really matters is that the Lord knows, and he's not impressed by it. Matthew 6, verses 7 through 8, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard from their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask them. Oh, yeah, just another quick note on, on the prayer warrior piece. I know that many of us love to label certain individuals with the title of prayer warrior. In fact, there's somebody that you're thinking about right now. You're like, man, this dude or this, this lady really be praying, like really be praying. I tell you right now, two of my most favorite ladies in my life uh, are or what I would categorize as prayer warriors, my wife and my mom, and I hope Micah would be a prayer warrior too. Y'all, sometimes, you know, Brittany and I, we're chilling at night, you know, about to go to sleep, and Brittany would just be staring like this. I'm just like, what's going on? Like, you good? She's like, yeah, I'm just praying over Micah right now. I'm like, what the heck is going on? But anyway, <laughs> in all seriousness, I, I truly admire that. And although I admire her for that, I, I'm often left convicted. Eric, see, the truth is that we should all be prayer warriors. 
It should not be rare for us to know someone that prays often. We should not only be praying when someone asks us to pray or only during a prayer meeting. We should not be tensing up or trying to not be seen and being in complete silence when someone asks if someone from the group can pray. Y'all know y'all be ducking that, right? It'd be super silent. We should be ready with our hand up, eager to go before the throne of God. Y'all, a prayerful life should be the norm amongst us. Every Christian ought to be a prayer warrior. Our prayer life must not be performative. But in order for us to grow in our prayer life, I think it's important to list out a few reasons as to why we don't pray. Here are my top four. There might be some others, but these are the ones that I came up with. A small view of God. A small view of God. I think many of us theoretically think we have big God theology. We think we know God and all that comes with him. But our prayer life does not show it. We don't pray for him or expect him to do certain things. In fact, we say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to do it myself. Because you're not going to do it. You're taking too long. Right? I've been praying for this for years. My marriage, my family. But don't you forget, man, the Lord never ceases to come through on his promises. His word says that he does hear you. And that he doesn't withhold good from those that are his. And so, man, we, we must not have a small view of God. God is way bigger uh, than we put him. Next, another reason, a small view of salvation. A small view of salvation. Many of, us forget, many of us forget where we came from. Many of us are sitting here. The Lord has blessed your life. You put, it, you put your faith in him. And just like he promised, uh, Christ said, man, he's going to give you life and life more abundantly. And you're sitting here and you forget that you were once far off from God. And that he brought you off some stuff and now you're in his marvelous light. And we cease to pray. You know, our salvation should cause us to pray to God fervently, being reminded of what he's done for you. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to keep going. A small view of spiritual warfare. A small view of spiritual warfare. I think in some circles, at times, we can downplay that we have an adversary. There's a, there's a real enemy out there that, 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 that does not want you to be faithfully walking with Christ. We also have the world. The world is preaching different things to you and uh, things that are, are, are typically not in, in accordance with God's word. And then we also have our flesh. Sinful, right? And we must be mindful. Man, we need to be praying to the Lord to protect us, right? To protect us from the schemes of the enemy. Uh, the, the Bible says that he's roaring around like a lion, seeking who he may devour. The Bible says that uh, we must put on uh, the full armor of God because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so we must not have a small view of spiritual warfare. I think I'm convinced at some points the reason why it may be perceived as, uh, you know, you might be going through some struggle or something like that is because you're not praying uh, about the spiritual warfare that's happening in your life. This is what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says a believer who was outfitted with the full armor of God, but refuses to pray like a frontline soldier, outfitted with the best weapons, technology, and protective gear, but has no communication with his command authority, he won't last long. You will not 
last long if you do not pray. Lastly, a big view of you. A big view of you. I don't even got to say nothing. Y'all can preach this point for me. Hey, y'all, the reason why we cease to pray is because we think we have it all together. Simple. And I think even more in this circle, I'll say this for, for us, I think because we have such, I mean, we think we have such deep theological knowledge that we don't need to pray. We think we know it all. We think, you know, you know what, theology is good. I'm good. No, 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 no. Prayer is what we must be doing as believers. You are not too big for prayer. You are never too big for prayer. Prayer is not insignificant. It's not low on the, on the totem pole when it comes to theology and prayer. Prayer is the means by which we confess and commune with the Lord Jesus. So a big view of you. Get out of the way. It's not about you. Pray to the Lord. Here are four quick ways to grow in prayer. This is what I use all the time with CO. Uh, the Acts prayer model. You guys, you don't know what that is. Uh, the Acts prayer model. Acts is an acronym for adoration. Praising God for who he is. Lord, I praise you for, for being a big God, one who, who loves us. Confession, confessing our sin before him. Lord, forgive me for, for, for lying. Forgive me for uh, not being kind to my wife. Thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for what he's done. And then supplication, asking things uh, from God according to his word. And so you know that supplication is last. It's a reason for that. We love to ask God for things but not do everything else before then, right? So Acts prayer model, that's a, that's a way that uh, you can grow in prayer. Praying God's word back to him. There's no better, there's no better way uh, to pray than to pray God's authoritative, breathed out word back to him. You know, I like to use the Psalms because they're already full of prayers. You know, David, I mean, Psalm 86 is one of my favorites. Also, y'all, pray for your prayer life. Pray that the Lord will grant you more of an affection for prayer. Pray that he would keep you consistent in prayer. We can pray for that. It's crazy to think about. It's a crazy concept. And then lastly, remember Jesus' prayer life. The way that Jesus prayed is absolutely captivating. God in the flesh praying to God the Father should be humbling for us. Jesus often withdrew to, 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 to pray with his Father. My wife said this. She said that Jesus' prayer life is an escape, not a rescue. It's an escape. He, he was escaping to be in communing with the Lord, not just merely asking him to rescue him from something. And I think that should be reflected in our own prayer life. We should not just go to the Lord asking him for stuff to rescue us from something. Let us use our prayer life as an escape just to be with you and the Father. So ARC, I asked you. How is your prayer life this morning? When is the last time that your prayer life has been consistent? Ask yourself, has your prayer life been performative or persistent? Y'all, Jesus didn't have a performative prayer life, and neither should we. Our, our, prayer, our private prayer life should reflect our public prayer life. We should pray earnestly with watchfulness and thanksgiving so that when it comes time to pray for others, we can do so faithfully and consistently, which brings me to my next point. Point number two, intercession initiates profession. Intercession initiates profession. At the same time, pray also for us 
that God may open up a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Y'all, the Apostle Paul starts off this next verse with the phrase at the same time and then continues in asking for the for the church to pray on his and his ministry partner's behalf. It's almost as if Paul is saying, and while you're at it, pray for me in the squad too. Brothers and sisters, I think Paul is telling us that having a devoted life of prayer should make it easy for us to pray for others. He almost assumes that having a devoted life of prayer is having a prayer life that's not all about you. So what I, what I gather from the first half of this verse is this. Intercessory prayer, praying on behalf of others, could be seen as a thermometer for a devoted life of prayer. Intercessory prayer could be seen as a thermometer for a devoted life of prayer. How much you pray for others is usually the quickest indicator of your personal prayer life. I think it's also important to note that Paul isn't asking them to do something that he doesn't do himself. Right, check out these verses from Paul, right? Philippians 1, verses 3 through 4. I give thanks to God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. From every family in heaven and on earth his name, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then even in, in the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 9, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and, 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 and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Y'all, these are three different churches here. Paul does not cease to pray for others. It's clear from these verses that Paul was devoted to praying for others. ARC, the question is, what takes up the majority of your prayer life? Are your prayers mostly about you? When you ask someone for a prayer request or when you tell someone that you're praying for them, do you actually do it? Or are you like me? Like for me, sometimes, bro, I'm going to confess here. Sometimes I put it in my nose and I don't look at that thing at all. I go home like, dang, I ain't even look at that. And I still didn't look at it. Are you like that? Do you actually pray for the person that you say you're going to pray for? Yo, I'm praying for you, bro. You going to pray? Right? Yo, Paul continues in verse 3 going into verse 4 by telling the church to pray that God may grant an opportunity for him and his ministry partners to proclaim the name of Christ while in prison because he felt that it was, respons- that was his responsibility to do so. Y'all, there's a, there's a lot to unpack from these verses, but the first thing I want to highlight is the fact that Paul is asking this church to pray for ministry opportunities. He's, praying, he's asking them to pray for ministry opportunities for which he's already been arrested for. Yet, he is not asking them to pray for him to be released from prison. Yo, let's just stop right there. Like, that, that's bizarre. Like, that, that's insane. Like, that's not something that we would do. Like, do you understand the weight of that? Yo, <laughs> yo if, I, if I were a betting man, I'm not. But if I were, I say that if you or I were in Paul's position, unjustly imprisoned, 
getting treated harshly for the sake of Christ, after we've taken some time to complain to God about what we've done for him, if someone were to ask us for any prayer request, the first thing I bet we would say is that you will release us from prison. Amen? And that's not a bad thing, right? Like, it's actually fitting, given the, given the circumstances. But no, Paul here is not asking for prayer for the opening of a physical door. Instead, he asked for a spiritual door to be opened for the sake of the mystery of Christ. Paul, Paul is asking for intercessions so that, the, so that his profession of Christ would lead to more professions of Christ. You see, Paul always had in mind the question of who was going to be the next him. And he knew he needed the prayer of the saints to help it to come to pass. ARC, we must continue to intercede in prayer for the Lord to open doors for the sake of Christ. We must never grow weary of this. Our prayers could, be, could, could very well be what the Lord uses to open more doors here in Southeast. With the goal of seeing this place be more represented of the neighborhood to profess the name of Christ here in Southeast. Praise God for the ways that we've already been doing this. I mean, prayer first Thursdays. Sorry, I haven't been there in a minute, but prayer first Thursdays. Uh, at our ARC meetings, we're praying through the directory. I'm sure at, at the elders meetings, they're praying. Small groups, triad groups, tri- uh, Titus II groups, our PSA groups. We, we do a great job at this, but may we continue to be encouraged in our intercession. But may we also be spurred on even more to intercede for others for the sake of the gospel. Yo, I think also it's important to note in verse 3, the word which Paul describes as the mystery of Christ is just another way to describe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I hear some verses to describe the mystery of Christ. Here we go. Colossians 1, 26-27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ uh, Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant by this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Y'all praise God that the mystery of Christ is no longer a mystery to us. In the Old Testament, Christ was concealed. He was often talked about, right? Predicted and alluded to. And he was predicted to come for centuries. But now in the New Testament, now Christ has been revealed And he's finally arrived. The saints of the Old Testament waited their entire lives for the anticipation for the coming Messiah. And now we have him. The truth, this truth alone should fuel us even more to tell others about him. It was certainly certainly enough for Paul to tell others about uh, Jesus. Christ had been revealed to Paul in a miraculous way. And from that point on, Paul made it his duty to share Christ with everyone that he had come in contact with. Brothers and sisters, do you have the same evangelistic zeal? If you're a Christian, Christ has been revealed to you by the grace of God. When when Christ saved you, he removed the scales from your eyes so that you would know him and proclaim him. Has the revelation of Christ burdened you to the point that you have no choice but to share with those who are around you? 
When is the last time that you shared your faith? When is the last time that you shared your faith? Y'all, I'm convinced, and I could be wrong here, but I'm convinced here in America, uh, certain sects, but I don't think it's everybody, but I do think it's a majority of uh, kind of the, the big C church. I think there's been kind of this dullness in, in evangelism. I think we've, we've created a, a comfortable Christianity, one that says, you know what, you know, I do go to church every Sunday. I, you know, I go to Bible study maybe. I do small groups. I have my quiet time in the morning and maybe sometime in the evening. And, you know, I hang out with people from the body. And it's all insular, right? Everything that you're doing is in this body, which is great. Praise the Lord. Keep doing that. But what about the people who don't have a body? What about the people who are dying, literally and spiritually? What about the people out there who are in need of a savior? I think we've forgotten that. I think we've forgotten that meant the priority is to make disciples of all nations. We need to get back to that as the body. And ARC, I'm challenging you today. Please share your faith. Is that important? Paul makes it his mission. Well, let me say this. I think another important thing that, that sticks out to me from these verses is that it seems as though Paul's certain circumstance does not excuse him from sharing about Jesus. Paul makes it his mission to be mission-minded, even in the confines of a cell. While you and I are in the comforts of our homes and our nice offices, and yet we still neglect to talk about Jesus. We need to make it our duty to share about Jesus because people's eternities depend on it. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says this to, to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Correct rebuke, sorry, correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and teaching. I'm going to talk about be ready in season and out of season. It's not an excuse not to share our faith. Right? For me, I'll give an example. In the summertime, y'all, I am, I'm not going to say I'm off, I still work. But in the summertime, like, I am not prioritizing sharing my faith. I'm like, I share my faith fall semester and spring semester of the school year, and I deserve to take some time off from doing that. Y'all, that is not the right way to look at the Christian faith. We never take time off from, from being committed to the Great Commission. And, and for me, man, I had to repent of that. I'm like, man, I should be ready to share my faith at any moment. Evangelism is a lifestyle, not a moment. It's a lifestyle. And may we have that same lifestyle as ARC, as the body of Christ. So, y'all, what are your reasons for not sharing about Jesus? I just shared about mine. You know, the summertime, just want to chill a little bit. But for you, is it laziness? Are you just like, man, everybody else got that. I can do what I do. I work however many hours a week. So y'all got it. It's not an excuse. Christ still needs all of us. Or do you have the case of the next times? What I mean by that is that each time you see a person, you say, you know what? I'll share with him next time. Then you see another person, you know, next time I'll share and the next time. And that next time never becomes the next time. How about sharing your faith right there in that moment? Being wise and discerning about it, but we should not be thinking about the next time consistently. Maybe do it now. Next one, uh, maybe it's workplace policies. So I know there's some things with that. I, yeah, I'm not saying to go just be you know, disobedient or, or not <laughs> submitting to authority. That's not what I'm saying here. Uh, but there is a way that you can share your faith 
with those in the workplace. It takes intentionality, but maybe you invite them over uh, to dinner or you invite them out or you go to you know, coffee before work or, or something like that. But, but the, the workplace policies are not an excuse for you not sharing your faith. And I think at times we can make it an excuse. The Lord uh, uh, is, is over workplace policies, right? He's over, he's, he's over the boss, right? Still be submissive to your boss, but he's over the boss, right? People's lives do not depend on work. It depends on Jesus Christ. And so the next one may be fear. This might be scary, and I understand that. I definitely understand that. And this is another reason why you ought to pray. Prayer helps us with our fear and evangelism. And maybe lastly, it might be a lack of prayer. Maybe you just haven't been praying. I know many times if I pray to the Lord to, 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 to kind of produce or put, in, put, in, uh, put before me an evangelistic opportunity, he usually does it. It's, it's a matter of if I'm going to take it or not. I could say next time. Lord, I got you next time. <laughs> but I think almost every time I've prayed that prayer, He's always brought someone to me. Or, y'all, it may just be that you don't feel confident in sharing. And, that, and if that's the case, consider starting with your testimony, right? What Christ did before, uh, sorry, your life before Christ, conversion, and life after Christ. That's easy. It's a good way to share your faith with somebody. Um, many people connect on testimonies. Or you can walk through the book of the Bible with someone. Where I like to start in the book of Mark. Mark is an easy gospel for for those who may not read the Bible, go through that. Uh, there are also many theological and apologetic books that, that I or, or maybe even the elders could recommend to you. But one of my favorite ways to share my faith is using the God-man-Christ response uh, kind of framework. It's an easy way. God created the creator of the heavens and earth, created man. Man has sinned against him, and Christ has come to rescue our sin. And the response is, man, you, might, you, you can either take him or you can leave him. Taking him means that you have eternity with him. Leaving him means that you have eternity apart from him. That's an easy way to share your faith. And y'all, I want to leave you with two specific encouragements that I'll witness uh, as the Lord um, yeah, brings people to himself by evangelism. I, I think, man, I've seen uh, and witnessed people who are faithful to go. People like Kayla, who, who are faithful to go to the campus to give her life for four years for the sake of the, the gospel. She might, have had, she might have had all of these reasons for not sharing about Jesus, and, and still she made a decision to go. So thank you, Kayla. You serve well. Um, it, the, your legacy precedes you, and, uh, yeah, we, we're thankful for you. So, Kayla, we're thankful for you. Uh, I also want to show out. Uh, shout out, sorry, uh, Pastor Dean Ashley. I think they've done a tremendous job at, at, at being faithful to go. And in, in return, the Lord has blessed their efforts. I mean, everybody know who Pastor D is and, and Ashley. Uh, and the Lord is continuously doing this slow and steady work in the neighborhood. And so we thank you for being faithful to go. We thank you for taking the, the charge of the gospel uh, and, and applying it here to, to the neighborhood. So we thank you, Pastor Dennison and Ashley. And y'all, I want to thank you, ARC. Uh, you guys have been uh, a major component for, for me and Kayla and whoever else is at Howard and Enya coming to Howard. Uh, man, we've seen things happen because of your intercessory prayer. So I want to thank you for that. 
Your intercession for us has led to many professions of faith. And y'all, uh, y'all think we ought to remind ourselves that there's only one who intercedes perfectly. One who's greater than Paul, who's greater than campus outreach, who's greater than ministry itself. That one is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who intercedes perfectly. He interceded by coming out of the comforts of heaven to, to earth. He interceded on our behalf by, by, by living a perfect life and taking on a death that we deserve. He interceded on our behalf by, by putting on a cross, right, flogged and, and spit on and mocked uh, for our iniquity. And then he was buried and he was raised. And now he sits at the right hand of God, still interceding on our behalf. That is a God who, who loves us that much that he intercedes for us. And so we thank you for Christ. He's much bigger than, than Paul and his ministry. He mu he's much bigger than the ministry we have here. Jesus is the one who perfectly intercedes. So Jesus continues to intercede on our behalf. So we must make it our duty to do the same. Our intercession could be the very thing that leads to a door opening for the profession of Christ, which can later lead to someone's profession of faith. And this leads me to my last point. Evangelism is an embodied effort. Evangelism is an embodied effort. Act wisely towards outsiders. Make it most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Y'all, the Apostle Paul concludes this passage by exhorting the church to behave wisely amongst outsiders, making the most of the time as well as imploring them to pay close attention to how they speak to others. Y'all, some scholars believe that, that there may have been some charges of misconduct that were being placed on the Colossian church at this point, hence Paul's exhortation. Y'all, the words outsiders here is just another word for, for unbelievers. And the phrase making most of the time here means to buy up an opportunity for oneself. So essentially, Paul is telling the church that they should be living their lives in such a way that allows for ample opportunities for the advancement of the gospel. Family, I think that this, what this means for us is that we must constantly strive to live above reproach, right, without, without blame, remembering to be mindful of our gospel witness. The moment that Christ saved us is the moment that our lives stop being our own. We no longer get to do the same things the same way that we did them before. Being a Christian means that our entire life belongs to Christ, including the way that we act. Brothers and sisters, calling Jesus Lord should not just be something that we should do as a formality. We must truly live as if Jesus really is the ruler of our lives. And I believe that, 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 as we, that, that we as a church do a fantastic job at this. But what happens when we don't? What happens when our lives become a stumbling block for someone to know Christ? What happens when we live our lives with no regard to how others perceive us? Here, you know, these, these things can hinder our gospel witness. And there are some other ways that our gospel witness can be hindered. Uh, some include, one, choosing sin. Sin can hinder the way uh, that we represent Christ. You know, as we do our thing, as we go out, out, out of this place, and as we go about our week, people are watching. They're watching how we conduct ourselves. They're watching what we do and what we say. And so if you're in sin, it makes it even harder to share the faith with them. Because they're like, man, I ain't trying to hear nothing you got going on. You're doing the same thing as me. <laughs> Number two, 
Another way that our gospel witness can be hindered, losing our flavor. Y'all, Matthew 5 says that we're supposed to be the salt and the light. And y'all, I think at times we're too focused on being like the world that we don't want to be distinct. We lose our flavor. We, we lose the thing that makes us unique, the thing that makes us stick out. As Christians, we were never meant to be, uh, uh, let me say, uh, to fit in. We were never meant to be like the world. We must be in the world, not of it. And we must never lose our flavor. We're supposed to be the salt and the light. And another way that our gospel witness can be hindered is an apathy for unbelievers. We just don't care. (laughs) I'm good. I got my quiet time. I got my, my church home. I got everything that I need. I really don't really care about that. And you might not say that explicitly, right? We're all loving people in here. But your actions show that. We have an apathy for unbelievers. On the flip, ways we can strengthen our gospel witness, it includes keeping our Christian liberties minor and not major. Y'all, I think, I think at times, one, I think at times we don't even know what Christian liberties mean and the goal of a Christian liberty. But I think when we do decide to use our Christian liberties, sometimes we do so, do so unwisely. Y'all, maybe sometimes you don't go out and, and get that one drink that you get. Right? So, so maybe sometimes you, you don't do the thing that everybody else is doing just for the sake of the gospel. I'm not saying it, it, as a legalist or, or trying to create some rules that are not there, but I think at times we can downplay or we can put down our liberties for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our, our, liberties, our liberties are not that important to somebody's salvation. Right? Our, our liberties uh, are just liberties. Right? There's, there are things that we can do uh, being free in Christ. But maybe use our freedom for the advancement of the gospel. Another one, being mindful of what you post on social media. Um, Y'all, I know I haven't been the best at this. I know we all kind of struggle with this. But, y'all, what you post, people are watching. I got friends from college who, who, who tell me, like, man, like, bro, since college, I've seen you continue to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how that happened. I'm not saying that to big up myself. I'm saying that people are watching our lives even when we we think they aren't. So maybe not post, you know, that brunch and that that mimosa that you got going on, right? Maybe not post that drink that you're having. Maybe not post these things that may hinder us from sharing the gospel with others. People are watching. They're watching your stories. They're watching your reels. They're watching your posts. Everything. I'm not saying this again. I'm not saying this as a legalist. I'm saying this as someone uh, who wants to see the gospel be advanced by any means necessary. So my aim is not to bound the church in any way, but my aim is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And may we do that with our social media. May we live above reproach as believers in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, again, we must share our faith like people's eternities depend on it. The reason that you are sitting here today is because someone took the time to share Jesus with you. Let us all make most of the time while we're here alive on earth to be committed to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. see, the truth is that people are watching our lives, especially those that don't believe in Christ. So how are we going to act? And let us not forget that our actions alone are not enough to share our faith. Although our actions are an aspect of evangelism, we must also preach it. Romans 10, 14 through 17, y'all all all know this. How then can they call on him 
who they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith come from, comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Yo, we must speak the gospel. It's not, a, it's not enough just to live it out. We have to do both. The last thing that Paul says to the Colossian church in this passage is a reminder of them to be mindful of the way they speak to unbelievers. So this means that not only should we watch our actions when it comes to evangelism, we must watch our speech as well. This tells me that evangelism is truly an embodied effort. All of our being should go into our gospel witness. Again, he, he tells them that their speech should be gracious and seasoned with salt. The phrase, the phrase seasoned with salt here is, is said to remind us that salt is not only used to add flavor to something, but it's also used to prevent corruption, which means that our, our speech should not, should, sorry, our speech should be to build people up. And as one theologian says, it should also be a purifying influence to those around us. Y'all, I mean, y'all didn't taste something that was bland before, right? Y'all didn't taste, I don't know, some meat, maybe past the tea meat or something like that. <laughs> you don't cook, that was just a <laughs> uh, the Miss Chrissy stuff is always flavored nicely, succulent. Um, and y'all know the difference. Pastor T's meat, dry. <laughs> Miss Christy meat is flavorful. You eat it, you're like, man, what's this, right? That's the same way that our speech should be with others. They should notice a difference. We should be flavorful, tasteful to others in the way that we speak to them. Which means that our speech should be used to build up, right? Listen to what James says about the tongue. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Proverbs 15, 4, the tongue that heals a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. In Ephesians 4.29, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. So, y'all, this also applies to the way that we speak behind closed doors, to our roommates, to our wives, husbands, children, co-workers, managers, teachers, and family. It should be done in the same manner. We should be speaking to them in the same manner as when we go to talk to someone about Jesus. We shouldn't be talking crazy at home and then in the next breath, go try to tell somebody about Jesus. Gracious and purifying speech isn't something that we should aim to turn on and off. So ARC, how is your speech today? Does your speech build up or tear down? Are we okay with talking to strangers in more gentle and loving manner than those that are closest to us? And why should we speak this way? Paul says so that we may know how to answer each person. Y'all, there will be moments when you share your faith that you will be met with resistance, slander, cruelty, and that still doesn't give us the license to speak loosely. I think even more so in those moments, our speech should be seasoned with salt. So y'all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conclude, but I'm going to leave you with a story about a brother that I met maybe two years ago. Um, he, he, uh, he followed Islam and 
Um, yeah, so we met, we would meet up often, we get lunch, we talk about Christianity and what he believes in. Uh, and there was one particular time that I was like, I'm about to give you everything I got. <laughs> so we met in Starbucks and I just let him have it. I said, you know what, Christianity is this, this doesn't make sense, Islam doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, he just stood there like. And so when I left there, I think I felt a little bit convicted, but I'm like, bro, I just got him. There's no way that he could come back from that. And then he texts me, he's like, bro, I, I just didn't really like the way that you were speaking to me. Like, I didn't like the way that you were coming at me in that way. And I was just like, dang. Like, I was so consumed with being right that I neglected to have my speech uh, seasoned with salt. But praise God, I mean, a year later, right? So me and Brittany, a couple of weeks ago, we were in church on Sunday, right? And I sit there, my phone rings. And this same guy who's a Muslim, he texts me and says, hey, Alex, I gave my life to Christ today. And so I, I you know, that, I was super emotional. I mean, I was about to cry in the church. I'm like, bro, what's going on? But, uh, but I was just in that moment. I say, man, evangelism is a process. And, and, and the Lord is doing a work behind the scenes that we don't even know. And he uses uh, us in spite of uh, us being disobedient in some way. So he used me in spite of my maybe improper speech. And he still decided to save this brother. And so my encouragement to you, ARC, is that the Lord is, is, is over every single thing and every single person for the sake of his kingdom. And he uses you in spite of you at times. And so, ARC, I'll ask you this once more. Who will be the next you? Is it somebody like my friend that I just shared about? In order for our gospel witness to continue, my prayer is that our prayer life would not be a performative one, that we would intercede on the behalf of others for opportunities for them to share the gospel, and that we would remember that evangelism is not just a mindless task, but involves our whole being. Action and speech. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. Your word convicts. And your word instructs. And Lord, you have instructed us to devote our lives to prayer. And Lord, we should be committed to that. Help us as a body to do so. Help us to be committed to the Great Commission, just as you were. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, we would do this, not begrudgingly, but delighting in you as we do so. So, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who does far greater than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.